Good morning, everyone. And just as Julie said, it is so good to see people here filling the CLC. Every week there's more and more, and I hope folks will venture out and come out. We're imp implementing all kinds of safety protocols, and everyone's being very cautious. So uh, it is good to see all of you here today and just to be together in a time of worship. I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorite verses as well. And thank you so much, Bonnie, for coming and sharing and reading that today. And, you know, I just have to ask you, how many of you have questions? Anybody with questions? I think this is the year of questions, maybe more than any other year. Now, people are asking those big questions. Now, I know there's a lot of new questions in our lives. There's a lot of the old questions, too, but we're asking the new questions like, how long is this going to last? How long am I going to have to wear a mask? Is this going to be part of my attire for some time to come? When's a vaccine going to be ready? You know, so many new questions that are swirling about our lives and things are so uncertain, but we still have the old questions like, is the Bengals ever going to win a game? Those are with us too, but I'm talking about life's big questions. If there's one thing this pandemic, I believe, especially back when things first started happening and people were dying among us, succumbing to this disease, people started to take a pause and reflect on life's big questions. You know, when I die, what's next? Is there a God? What's the meaning to life anyway? Why am I here and what is my purpose? A couple of years ago, in fact, about six years ago now, I was seated at a large auditorium up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was attending a two-day conference on evangelism. And it had been a really great conference, lots of wonderful things that were happening and being shared and lots of engaging speakers. But on the second day, I was really getting tired. And I was looking for a spot that I could kind of leave and uh, stretch my legs a bit. But then I noticed the keynote coming up. The keynote was focused on life's big questions. And I thought, this is really intriguing. I think I need to stick around and, and see this hear what this guy has to say. And the keynote got up and the presentation wasn't anything like I was anticipating. He started talking about life's imponderables. You know, like if 7-Eleven is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, why do they have locks on the door? <laughs> or if Teflon, you know, if nothing sticks to Teflon, how do they get that to stick to the pan? Do vegetarians eat animal crackers? <laughs> and maybe if you try to fail but succeed, which have you done? There are so many questions that we seek answers to. And I tell you, we're not going to find the answers to all these kinds of things in this life. But the speaker went on to point out there is one question that we can know the answer to. And that is that there is a God and that we can know him. Now, how many of you like to hike? I want you to take a look at this picture. 
you know, we have a lot of hikers I know in our church, and some of you have gone on trips, you've gone out west in different places in our world to hike. I've got some hikers in my family, but I think maybe this is a great metaphor for our times. Because after all, life is a journey, isn't it? And it feels like we're going uphill a lot and almost like we're in a jungle and there's so many twists and turns. We don't know what's up ahead. But you come to that precipice, you come to that moment where you realize the vastness of the universe. You come to that moment where you realize, I can't get through this alone. You come to a point where you think about life, I mean, the absurdity of life without an intelligent designer. And you realize there must be more. And we stand at this precipice and we look into the universe and we look to find that answer. We're starting a new sermon series here for the next few weeks and really focused here on God, I need you. God, I realize there is more going on here than meets the eye. I realize there's more than all these questions that are swirling about and, and I'm not going to find the answer and that soon I'm going to die. Whether it's a virus or an accident or natural causes, but one of these days soon, I'm going to be leaving this world, and God, I need you. I need you in my life. That's really the secret I find to all of life. If someone were to ask me, what's the secret to life? How do you get by in this life? I'm going to tell you the secret to have a, a meaningful life is to have a relationship with God to finally get to that moment in the top on the precipice and you realize that, hey, there is a God. I need him and I can know him in this life. That's really the secret to a meaningful life. Now, I know somebody said I can keep a secret, but all those people I tell can't keep a secret. But what is the secret really to a life that offers a viable option? The plausible the most reasonable explanation for the universe. What is the secret to life's big cues? What is it that provides meaning and satisfaction and a deep sense of commitment? And I say to you, it is knowing God. Knowing God. That's the secret to going on this adventure, to living life with joy and knowing meaning and having purpose knowing God, to have a real relationship with God. Makes all the difference in the world. William Randolph Hearst, maybe you've heard the name, but he was really a person of notoriety back in the 20th century. Here was a guy that was a billionaire back in that day. He created the world's largest newspaper chain, and he was involved in politics, he was a businessman, he was a humorist of sorts, but he was an art collector. He loved fine art, collected all sorts of art from all over the world. And one day he was reading uh, one of his 
art, art books or catalogs, and I uh, was having his breakfast, and he saw a piece in this catalog. He said, I got to have that piece. I need this. And he called his agent, and he said, I just saw this piece of art, and I would like to have it. And he said to the agent, just do whatever you need to do. Don't let money be any kind of object to you, and just go get me that art piece. Wherever it is, just go buy it. So several months passed, and the agent went to work searching all over, traveling everywhere, talking to curators, going to different museums in search of this art piece, and you know what? He finally found it. He came back and said, Hurst, I found this thing. Do you know where it's at? He said, no, it's in one of your warehouses. You already have it. It's right in front of you. It's already available to you. Here's a multi-millionaire investing all of his money and most of his fortune in priceless artwork, going in search of a piece that is already available to him. And you know, I think this is, this is something that a lot of people are living right now. God is available to you right in front of you. You know, your priority in life is not wisdom and riches. Your priority in life is not popularity and passing pleasures. You see, there's a spark in you that can only be ignited by God. There's a spark in you that can only be satisfied by God. A bird can be satisfied with last year's bird's nest. A dog can be satisfied with an old dry bone. But only God can really meet that deep need that exists in your life and that you have in your heart. Now, if there is no God... Well, then nothing matters. But if there is a God, nothing else matters, right? Psalm 139 is an incredible witness to us, friends. Psalmist David here has reached the top of that peak. And he's looking out and he's realizing the vastness of the universe. And he's overcome by these feelings of Knowing that God knows us. How many of you have a LinkedIn page? Anybody? LinkedIn, kind of a Facebook for business people and professionals, the same kind of thing. And we find here in this text essentially that God is already linked into us. In fact, God not only has searched all the World Wide Web and read all the profiles out there, he created your profile. And he knows you intimately and deeply and everything about you. Your thoughts, your actions, what's on your mind, the questions in your heart. For he designed you. And David here is looking at this. And he's pondering this. And he's just overcome by these feelings here. You know, what you think about God determines what you think about everything else in life that makes up this busy world, the people, questions, the universe. And wrong ideas about God ultimately leads to wrong ideas about who you are and what you're about. It really leads to faulty living and a flawed path in life. Think with me, if you will, about these few verses here that we find in this psalm, here in Psalm 139. The first thing here that David really indicates to us is that we are seen by God. Do you know that? He says here, oh God, you have searched me 
and you have known me. Psalm 139 here is a compelling description of how close God wants to be to you and your life. God is not satisfied with simply being a reigning king or some type of distant creator, but he wants a personal relationship with you. And that ought to pique your curiosity. That ought to really have you to stand up and take notice. He searches and he knows us. His eye is always upon us and he hears all that we say. Do you know that God knows your name? You know, the sweetest thing in any language is to have your name called. I'll never forget when I was just completing college and I was out, I was feeling so good about myself and somebody called me Mr. for the first time. I was just a young guy, I felt, still a kid, 22 years of age, but it just felt so, I don't know, the pleasantries in life, ma'am and sir and mister and missus and doctor and reverend, but when someone calls you by name, it's really special, isn't it? God calls you by name. Now, arguably, one of the most difficult phrases in the Bible that we've ever had to translate is there in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And it's where Moses says, God, what's your name? And he says, I am who I am. Now, Martin Buber who was known as one of the greatest Hebrew scholars, just before he died, he said, you know, I've studied this for years, and I've looked at this, and I've studied the context, and I, he said, I tell you, this is probably not the best translation that we have here in Exodus 3. He says, I think it's more like this, that I will be present. It, it's less I am who I am, and it's more... I will be present. Or rather, he said, I shall be there. We have a God who is there. A God who is here. A God who knows you. Now, God's name is less I am who I am, and it's more I shall be there. Now, I'm sure, like you, you've met a lot of people. I've known a lot of people. I'll never forget, and this was probably 2002, 2001, and I was at the annual conference of West Virginia. And if you've ever been to annual conference, you know there's hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people there, it seems, and everybody's wearing a name tag. And uh, I was in the bookstore, and Cokesbury has a bookstore for us pastors. Everywhere you go, there's one here in West Ohio, there's one over there. And uh, they know how to, how to get to our pocketbooks by getting those books in front of us. And I was going through... Uh, the books that were there, and I happened to be right in front of some new hymnals that had come out. And this guy walks over to me, and he starts up a conversation. He kind of looks at my name tag and starts to smile, and he talks as if he knows me. And I was thinking, this is a little bit strange. And then he says, are you looking for one of those hymns that you wrote? And I said, sir, you know, when it comes to music, I can't carry a tune in a paper sack. And come to find out there is another Tim Wall, look it up on the internet, who is a famous songwriter, hymn writer in the church. Who knew? You know, there's a lot of people that we meet out there, and we might 
kind of get to see them and understand them, but we don't really know them. People may know your name, but they don't really know you. I may have met people like D. James Kennedy, famous guy that was on TV just before he died down there in Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, but I don't really know him. I may have met Maxie Dunham, the president of my seminary there years ago, and also the guy that led the upper room in our Methodist church, but I don't really know him. Take a look at this next picture, and it's a picture of my daughter. You can barely see it. Don't worry about getting your glasses. Well, that's Jenna. I was at vet one time, and George Bush was there, the president of the United States, and he reached down and grabbed my daughter. It was an amazing moment, and the Secret Service people were around, and there were so many people that were around me. I couldn't get my camera out, and the thing is blurry. I'm amazed that I even got a picture. But when she was just a few months old, we may have met him, but we don't know him. He doesn't know us. But this psalm tells us here that there is one who does know us, and knows us intimately and knows us deeply. God who knows us. Little boy prayed that Lord's Prayer and said, Our Father who art in heaven, how did you know my name? This says that God knew us even before we were born. God knows your thoughts. Even if you do not say what's on your mind, God knows. Somebody said, well, why don't what do you need to pray then if God already knows your thoughts? And isn't it true that you may have children or grandchildren that say they love you, but you still want to talk to them? You still want them to call once in a while, don't you? You still want to have that connection with them. You'd like to, in fact, have it daily. In fact, you wish you they wouldn't have moved across the country because you want to spend time with them. We had an older gentleman in one of the churches we served, and he was having a difficult time hearing. And he finally went to an audiologist. He delayed so long, he didn't want to have to wear any kind of hearing aid or device. And he went by himself, and he went, and he was fitted with this new kind of hearing aid that's out that is so invisible, nobody could tell that he even was wearing them. And he went back a few weeks later for just kind of a follow-up appointment, and the audiologist looked at him and said, I'm sure your family is thrilled that now you can hear what's going on. He said, oh, I didn't tell them. <laughs> he said, I'm just enjoying sitting around and listening to all the conversations. And he said, I've even changed my will twice. <laughs> God is clued into you, my friends. God's hand is upon you, and it was on David. And he says here, God is always near. God saw the entirety of his life up close and inside out. He says, God is so present. God has seen me. The second thing here is that not only has God seen us, but God is pursuing. God is in hot pursuit of you. He says here in this next verse, down here in verse 7, where can I flee from your presence? You know, we can't flee from the presence of God. You cannot escape God's presence. You will run into God at every corner wherever you go. I know in our days that suddenly this 
security camera has been something that has come up in our lives. And you can't do anything, go anywhere without being on camera. But that's always been the case in the eyes of God. God knows what's going on in your life. Now, this may sound like it's a made-up story, but I took a law class of all things back in seminary. They had a legal class. And they talked about this church in Carter County, Tennessee. The people were so devout, and they embraced God so much and loved God. They said to their attorney, we want this church, we want it deeded that it belongs to God. And so that's the way the attorney wrote it up. That this church in Carter County, Tennessee, the owner is Almighty God. And that worked for a few years, and all of a sudden the church started to grow, and they needed to relocate their property. And the lawyer said, well, we can do that, but they had to go through this lengthy process, and the sheriff had to come out and declare that Almighty God wasn't anywhere to be found in Carter County, Tennessee. They had to do that in order to do a new deed. But you know what, my friends? That is not too far from the truth. There was a survey that came out the other day that said now, here in 2020, that only about 50% of Americans actually believe in the Christian God. That's 20 to 30% lower than it was just a few years ago. So many people are allowing these questions to swirl so much around them, and God is right available, in fact, searching for them. People are paralyzed and even numb to it. We think in our sophisticated minds here in this day. God is to be found. In fact, you would just be still, as the psalmist says, if you, in other words, would just relax, if you would just pause for just a moment, realize what you're saying, if you could just see the universe about you, you would know there's a God. We are pursued by God. And you know, a lot of people today, they want an idol. They want a God that they can see, touch, feel, control, understand. But you know, the God of the universe is God not able to be manipulated and twisted and turned into an idol or a fashion that fits our way of life. And then Psalmist David here in this text not only says to us that we're seen by God, we're pursued by God, but he finally ends up saying we are fashioned by God. And notice here in this text down in verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, why is it, do you suppose, that God knows you so intimately? I mean, God knows you the way a painter knows his picture, the way a sculptor knows that statue. And you can ignore God, but you cannot avoid God at the end of the day. And this ought to be a serious warning to all of us. And in fact, as we look back to the description of God, the names of God, there are so many names to just try to describe our Lord, our God. One of them is Elroy. There in the Old Testament, Genesis 16 and 13, meaning the God who sees. And you know, everything you do, everything you commit is done and before the presence of God. Every word you share, every thought you think, every action you commit 
He's aware of every deed done under the cover of darkness. And how we lay our lives bare before him on a daily basis. For we are fashioned by God. And I tell you, friends, we need God to direct us. We need direction in life. You know, somebody said the reason the children of Israel were out in the wilderness for so long is because they were led by a guy who wouldn't ask for direction. Maybe you've seen that bumper sticker that's been out that reads, there is a God and you're not him. And it just may mean, you see, that it's hard for us to give God this steering wheel and slide over to the passenger side and allow God to lead us and guide us. But that's what we need in life. God knows the pandemics that are ahead. God knows the problems that are way off in the future. God knows the situations that are coming into our lives. He knows us for he created our profile. And he knows what's going to come our way. Now, when Adam and Eve, there, if you go back again to the early part of the Bible, what's the, the question, maybe that first question that we find in the Bible? It's, where are you? I'll never forget being here at the church one day, and there was somebody coming to one of our services. They, they called me on my cell phone. And they said, hey, Pastor... I'm lost. What was the first question do you suppose I asked him? Well, where are you? Where are you at right now? Because you see, ultimately, that question has got to be answered because it's impossible to really give any kind of direction unless you kind of come to that moment where you kind of come to that time in your life where you're like, you know, I'm lost. And this is where I'm at, God. And I confess my sin to you that I am not right. And I invite you into my life. You know, one year we received uh, somebody in our family at Christmas time a very expensive telescope. And it was a very fancy telescope, I'm going to say. It was a large telescope. And um, we were just fascinated by it. And, uh, in fact, we took the thing apart. Uh, I was there watching the family member. We got so wrapped up in all the gadgets and, and just all the, the, the things that were uh, part of this thing that we were overwhelmed by its complexity, and we never did use the thing to look at the stars, which is what it was all about. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what we've done in this world. We're born and we take off in this life, and we open all of the parts, we look at the pieces, try to fit things together on our own. We realize it doesn't make sense. And unfortunately, a lot of times people just get to that precipice in life. They can't figure it out. They live a life that is so, like, unmeaningful and discontented. I ask you today, are you linked in? Where are you today? Do you really know God? Have you born, born again? I just extend that invitation to you today because I know there's so many people 
that hang out in the church. They've heard the tales. They've seen John 3, 16 and somebody in the ballpark holding a sign. They, they've heard these wonderful stories of how cute little Jesus shared the, 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 the wine, changed that water into wine or the loaves and the fishes to the 5,000 or handed out bread and water and all these kinds of things. Yeah, we want to take care of people and that's a, a good thing to do. But I got to ask, do you really know God? Do you really have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Because at the end of the day, my friends, that is what it's all about. And I extend that to you today, to know God, for we need him. And especially in days like this. Shall we pray together? Oh God, we just thank you that we can call upon your name here today. We thank you, Lord, for just this marvelous creation. We are in awe, just as David, to come face to face with the beautiful creation of this world. We stand in awe of science. From every chemical compound to all the physics and just how you've designed these bodies, fascinated with our eyes, how our eyes work, our hearts flow. I mean, we are standing on that precipice today, and we know we need you for there has to be more. So God, we pray for those that are here with us today that simply don't know you. They know about you, and Lord, we just pray that they might be born again. We pray, God, that they might come to you. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would convict. Your spirit would be unleashed in this land to move people with that holy discomfort, that discontentment that they might be prompted to to get linked into you, which we know can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Bless us here today. And those, Lord, who are seeking and searching, let them know that you are here to be found. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.